So we've had a bit of an issue in our family these days that uh, I feel like you need to share this morning. Um, at first, I didn't realize that it was that big a deal. It involves uh, our middle son, uh, Simon. Uh, he's nine. But after talking with him, I realized that this is actually a pretty serious thing. And so um, I was talking with him one day and realized that that he was tired of watching the Toronto Maple Leafs lose. And he said to me, Dad, I- I'm, I'm sick of cheering for a loser team. And I, I couldn't believe that he had figured that out by the time that he was nine. I was kind of impressed by that. But he, well, what he said next surprised me. He said, Dad, if they lose three more games, I'm not going to cheer for them anymore. I'm giving them three games. And you got to understand, at this point, they had lost like five or six games consecutively. They were in, you know, what seems to be now kind of an annual nosedive or collapse. And so I thought really nothing of it. I thought, you know, there's no way they're going to lose three more. But all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, they get to the place where they like tied a franchise record for a winless streak. They went like 10 games. And after the third You know, additionally consecutive game that the Toronto Maple Leafs lost. I came downstairs and the first voice I hear is Simon's under a blanket on the couch watching SportsCenter. And he says this, he says, I'm done, dad. I'm done. Now, just in case you're wondering what's happened since then, um, his I'm done has meant I'm done. He, He immediately purged everything Toronto Maple Leafs from his bedroom. He removed, you know, stickers and posters and, you know, things on his cork board. He had Becky hand me down all of his, uh, like, hats and, you know, sweatshirts and clothes and things. And he has since replaced them with gear from now his new favorite team, for whatever reason, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. And since that day of declaration, uh, he's received a jersey from... uh, kind of a persuasive friend of his, and uh, all kinds of other like posters and pictures and stickers and whatever. And now these days, when I wake up in the morning and I head out of my bedroom, right across the hall is his room. This is what I have to look at. Check this out. Every day, this is what I have to stare at because my nine-year-old son decided that he was done. Isn't that horrible? That he was done. And the funny thing about all this has been the reaction, I, I feel. And, and most of the reaction hasn't been from Leaf haters who, you know, are finally kind of celebrating or congratulating Simon for you know, being rescued from the dark side. Most of the reaction are from, you know, other loyal kind of Leaf fans who are friends of mine that are just devastated that, in that sense, we've been so betrayed. And, you know, they've asked me point blank, like, does the kid eat anymore? Is he, you know, paying your rent? What does he do when your family goes on vacation? Who does he stay with? Obviously, he, he doesn't come. Have you adjusted the will accordingly? Like how, how if, if he has kind of disowned the Leafs, if, if he's done with the Leafs, well, surely you're done with him, right? It's kind of how the, the logic goes. And, and of course, we all know, all joking aside, that 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 doesn't happen because there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between people who are fans and people who are family. There's a difference between relating as a fan 
and relating as family. Or at the very least, there ought to be a difference in the way that we intuitively feel like a family ought to work. Let's just say that. Now, I was thinking of a, of a couple recently who at a time in their marriage was plagued by infidelity. One of them had, had an affair. But rather than packing it in, they took some time to reflect and you know, considered hard the, uh, the till death do us part, you know, that part of the, the vows that they had, had made to each other and decided to hang in there, decided to give it a go, work through issues, offer forgiveness, you know, do what it takes for reconciliation and healing to the point where their relationship got and has continued to, to grow stronger than ever. But as if that wasn't enough, then, you know, a few years later, um, they had to endure their, you know, teenage child kind of go down the road of ultimately drug use and then not just drug abuse, but drug addiction. And then parent uh, an unplanned grandchild. And, uh, you know, when you think of all that this couple has had to endure, you think, you know, eventually they're just going to say enough's enough. But, but again, they didn't. And they hung in there and they've been involved in this grandchild's life and in raising them while simultaneously kind of supporting the recovery and the healing of their son. And, you know, there are pictures like that out there where you just look at people who are willing to say, you know what? No matter what, I'm not leaving. I'm hanging in there. I'm there for you. There, there's, you know, I'll never quit. I'll never be done. And you think, man, that's, that's what family's all about. That, that, that's how family's supposed to work. And I guess the question that I want us to think about this morning is, you know, what, what's the difference? What's the difference in those two ways of relating? The, the, on the one hand, the fickleness of a fan that can kind of get on board the bandwagon of a relationship and then when the going gets tough, they can kind of get going and jump on the bandwagon of another kind of relationship. Versus the kind of timeless faithfulness of those ideal or more heroic families that hang in there no matter what. That are there for each other until death do us part. What, what, what's the difference between those two ways of relating? And more importantly for each of us this morning, how can you and I experience the kind of relationships that more typify the timeless faithfulness of that idealistic family and enjoy the peace and security and the hope and the healing and the forgiveness and the reconciliation, you know, the commitment of that kind of timeless faithfulness instead of having to endure the fickleness of relating to one another as fans. Well, if you've been tracking in this series, you know that the one thing we've been learning is that we actually have a choice for how we engage in relationship, we actually have a choice for the kind of relationships that we experience and the contributions that we make to those relationships based on whom we choose to resemble. That we've been learning in this family resemblance series that we have a choice, whether we know it or not, we have a choice of whom we can aspire to resemble and in increasing ways, resemble to a greater degree. 
And this morning, I, I want us to continue to consider to continue this conversation by considering this attribute or this aspect of the characteristics of God. Because as I think about it, the idea of timeless faithfulness and constant commitment is one of the earliest characteristics of God that we see evidenced in the scriptures. In fact, just chapters after God has created the heavens and the earth and created humanity and humanity has decided in spite of that to deviate from his ideal, to reject and abandon God and to bring the spiritual disease of sin into the world. Um, we see a, a story, an episode where God is so discouraged. He's so sad and his heart is so broken by the behavior of humanity that he's tempted to give up on it entirely and to kind of pack in the dream that humanity would live in this close, ongoing, intimate relationship with him, except he refuses to do that. And from about chapter six to about chapter nine of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, um, God agrees to spare humanity through a man and through the family of a man named Noah. And for some of us who've grown up in the church and especially, you know, gone through sort of the Sunday school era, we've heard of Noah and the ark and the flood and the 40 days. And, and I, I'm not going to get into the complexities of, you know, whether that's scientifically evidenced and whether there actually was a flood on earth and whether a ark of that sophistication in that technological era could actually survive a 40-day flood. We're not going to get into all of the, the complexities and kind of nuances of the story of God's interaction through the life of Noah. Because that actually isn't the point of the story. The point of the story isn't to make scientific statements. It's to make spiritual statements, which God does after flooding the earth, sparing Noah and his family's life. And he says this in Genesis 9 verse 11. He says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. And he says, never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And what God does for the very first time in, in the recorded Bible, um, what God does with Noah is he makes what's called a covenant with him. He, he makes a promise, but not just a regular promise, kind of a capital P promise. A covenant uh, is understood to be a more lasting, a more binding, a, a more permanent kind of ultra oath. You know, it's an unbreakable commitment that isn't to be gone back on. And, and God makes this covenant with Noah. He's made subsequent covenants since then throughout the scriptures. But this covenant that he makes with Noah, the first and foremost covenant that, that's recorded in the Bible, he makes this covenant with Noah that he's never going to give up on life. And that he will never give up on people no matter what. You know, no matter how much people disobey him, disappoint him, reject him, abandon him, break his heart. He will never, ever give up on them. And he makes that commitment to that characteristic through this covenant with Noah. And he says, you know, from this point on, regardless of what he's feeling, that character of timeless faithfulness and commitment is going to trump those feelings. And I don't know about you, but in making that covenant, I actually draw two things 
two, two kind of conclusions out of that. The, the, the first, which you may not think about, is that God actually feels those things. God actually feels like giving up on people from time to time. I, I don't know if that's been something you've ever considered before. And, and I don't mean to say that to make you feel guilty or make you feel like that's the way that God feels about you right now. I, I, I just want to correct the, the kind of misassumption that God is some spiritual robot or divine punching bag that kind of presides up in the heavens like the you know, invisible energizer bunny that just takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And no matter what we do to him, he doesn't, he's not phased, not affected by it. Not true. God is deeply grieved and saddened and hurt and devastated when people deny him and reject him and abandon him and... and and God feels those things. And I say that again, not, not, not to lay that on thick on each of us so that we're feeling that. But rather so that we can appreciate that God understands when we feel like that. Have you ever thought about that? That when you feel like packing it in in a relationship, when you feel like giving up on someone, that God actually knows and understands. God can empathize with what you're feeling. I don't know if you've ever realized that. And I say that because when I think about relational breakdown, a lot of times what I kind of feel like in, in the situations that I've been in personally and that I've kind of counseled people through, I kind of feel like one of the breakdowns is that we as people don't actually feel safe enough to admit that early enough in the process for things to get remedied. You know how the saying goes, like an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure? I think what often happens is that people feel, start to have these feelings of wanting to give up on somebody, but they just, they repress them because they feel like they're bad feelings and they're not allowed to have those feelings and no one will understand those feelings. And so they, they repress them and hold them back and keep them to themselves until they reach a boiling point. And at that tipping point or breaking point, they just snap. And then it comes out that they have given up on a person. And rather than sharing that they're starting to feel like giving up on a person, they declare that they have given up on a person, they write it off, and it's much harder to salvage at that point. But I wonder if we can appreciate that even God feels like that sometimes. Maybe it creates a safety for us to be a little more transparent, a little more authentic about what we're feeling so that we can deal on the prevention side rather than past the tipping point and the point of no return. Just, just, just a thought for consideration today. The bigger point though, and this is more central to the covenant that God establishes with Noah, is that at that point, God is declaring that this character of timeless faithfulness is always going to supersede those feelings of wanting to give up on people. And what he does is he's actually categorizing which of those are character and which of those are just feelings, which is very, in fact, ultra important for us today. If you're taking notes, you know, maybe you want to write this down, that, that character always trumps feelings. Character always trumps feelings. No matter what we're feeling, character's gonna trump what we're feeling. If we're feeling like we wanna be a generous person, but our character is cheap, we're never gonna give stuff away. But if our feelings are, oh, we might wanna hang on to things, but our character is generous, we're just gonna keep giving stuff away no matter what. We kinda can't help it because our character overrides 
our feelings. That's why people sometimes struggle with losing weight because they feel like they want to get in shape. They feel like they, you know, want to lose weight. But if, if our character at that time is, you know, more on the lazy side or the undisciplined side, it overrides those feelings of wanting to get in shape or, or lose weight. Character always trumps feelings. And what God is declaring as timeless of him is that his character of faithfulness and lasting commitment will always trump those feelings that may at times want to give up or be done with people. And isn't that significant? Because that's quite the opposite of what many of us often experience, isn't it? Many of us have categorized that, those in the opposite direction, haven't we? And whether it's when we start a new job or when we're, you know, moving in with, you know, those new classmates or roommates or whether we're standing at the altar, we have feelings that are really excited and hopeful that this will last for the long haul. But when the going gets tough, the tough get going, meaning they're, they're out of here because the character of fickleness, the character of a fan actually has trumped those feelings that want to be in for the long haul. And what God is declaring about himself is that the feelings are the desires sometimes or the considerations to give up on someone. The character is of timeless commitment and that character will trump those feelings. Now, why is that relevant for us today? Because this entire series has been about realizing that we have a choice of which character we can aspire to. Do you remember what this entire series has been anchored in? This verse from Romans 12 too that Ben, ben introduced the very first uh, morning of the Connected series where it says there, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but rather let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, one translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. There is a way of living and relating that each of us kind of innately find ourselves predisposed to. And Ben introduced this in week one where sometimes, you know, that predisposition is natural and genetic. Sometimes it's a product of our nurturing and our environments and climate and experiences. Sometimes it's a product of both. But each of us are predisposed to relate a certain way. The thing is, though, with God, we actually have a choice to default towards those predisposed habits and ways of relating according to our wiring and, you know, our experiences, or to aspire to bear the resemblance, not of our upbringing and our environment, but to bear the resemblance of God by allowing him to transform us. And when we consciously make that decision, we actually enter into the wonder of what is called the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Because the good news, if you're unfamiliar with the message of Jesus, is not just that this guy who claimed to be God came to earth and taught a bunch of cool stuff, performed some miracles. And it's not just that he died for the sin of humankind, as extraordinary as that is for you and me. But ultimately that in dying, he also rose again so that his spirit would be alive today and available to invade the lives of every forgiven believer to give us the resources to live the way he lived. 
and to give us the capacity, as the passage says, to be transformed by God. God's not inviting us into a life where we have to get our own act together and we have to do the changing. God wants to do the changing in us and through us and for us if we will consciously choose to allow it. And if we will consciously choose to embark on that transformational journey with him where we aspire to his character, to bear his resemblance, represented in the conversation today in a passage like 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, where it says, even if we or people are faithless, God remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Even if he wanted to be faithless, he can't. He remains faithful. He has made that covenant with people to that characteristic. And that character will always trump those feelings. That's who God is. And by letting him transform us through consciously choosing to bear his resemblance, we can be those people too that hang in there and don't give up and stay faithful and go the distance and are in relationship for the long haul, instead of relating as fickle fans. Now, some of you, I'm sure, as you're considering that, are wondering if there is ever a time where God would affirm, you know, breaking off a relationship, where there's ever a, an appropriate time to resemble God's character and to actually end a relationship. And the short answer, if you're wondering that, is absolutely yes. You know, if you're in a situation of abuse, get out of it. If you're in a situation that's unsafe, get out of it. it there, there are times where the most redemptive thing to do is to actually get out of a relationship. Sometimes, you know, a business partnership needs to end. Sometimes a person needs to get fired and that's not a sin. You know, sometimes, Jesus even conceded, sometimes a marriage relationship is so off the rails that unfortunately the most redemptive or the least unredemptive thing to do is actually to separate and end the thing. Sometimes. But I'm going to say two things about this real quick. This isn't ultimately the conversation this morning. Number one, if you're in a place you want to pursue that further, you want to understand what those appropriate times would be, um, you can either download or purchase a book written by a psychologist named Henry Cloud. The book is called Necessary Endings. And Henry will do a much better job than I ever could or we could ever do in a time like this uh, to kind of walk you through the circumstances and the conditions and the nuances where it actually is appropriate to put boundaries on or to end a relationship. Second thing I'm going to say is from God's perspective, never mind from Henry Cloud's perspective, um, in those cases, those are by far the exception and not the rule. Ending relationships is not to be the norm. It is to be the rare exception. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves in the culture that we live in and the kind of consumeristic, materialistic, temporal nature of our, of our world, most of our relationships are defined by the fickleness of fans, aren't they? And we break up and we give up and we move on and we write off and we're done way, way more than we ought to be. That's not the norm for God. 
That, that, that's not his character if we're aspiring to pursue and be transformed by him into his resemblance. God's character is much more represented by a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, where in verse 7 it says this, Love, which is often synonymous for God, love always protects, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And you know what the original word for always and never is translated best as in the English? Always and never. That is the rule for God. That is the norm. That is the standard of his character. And he prefers that we're not going to talk about all of the ways that we can wiggle our way out of relationships, but rather how we can be the kind of people who are always those people and never give up on one another. And I wonder this morning as we've been having this conversation, what are those relationships that have been rolling through your mind where you're being challenged today to bear more of the resemblance and likeness of God in them? You know, are there people at work in your world that you've been kind of avoiding ever since that awkward conversation or conflict? Are there neighbors that you live near that you kind of, you know, head to the other side of the sidewalk around the mailbox since that spat a couple summers ago? You know, are there... Kids in college that you, you, you know, used to hang out with, you used to study with that you know, just aren't part of your crowd or your circle anymore. That you've kind of you know, written off. That you're being challenged to consider how you relate to these days. Or you know, push it a little further, bring it a little close, closer to home. Are there family members that you just try to avoid at all costs these days? Is there a parent or a kid that has caused you so much hurt that you've tried to minimize that, that relationship? You know, are, are, are there good friends or formerly good friends that you've just written off, moved past or gone beyond because, you know, you've found greener pastures, greener pastures elsewhere? And while you're thinking about that, while you're thinking about who those people are that are kind of rolling through your mind today where we can most bear that family resemblance of God's timeless commitment, I want to push two relationships a, a little further because it, it, in the Bible, as the story of God progresses, um, God actually uses the language of a covenant to describe two specific kinds of relationships among people. Two different human relationships, not just his relationship with us. One is the relationship of marriage. And one is our relationship in and as a church. And, and in those two relationships, God kind of puts them at a, at a higher level when two have become one and in the church when many have become one. God kind of holds those relationships in higher regard because the scriptures teach that those relationships are intended by God to be the best metaphors or the best images of how he relates to us. And I say that because when I think about the fickleness of being a fan, and I think about, in contrast, with the timeless faithfulness of being that ideal family that represents the character of God. You know where I see that breakdown most commonly in our day and age? Or where I see that most under attack, at the very least? In the relationship of marriage and in the relationship among people in the church. And I would wonder, wonder, 
I would wonder whether specifically in those relationships, whether God couldn't impress into our hearts today a motivation to draw a line in the sand and to consciously choose from this day forward whom we're going to most resemble and to get out of our default, natural, inherited, genetic, predisposed patterns of relating and to choose to allow God to transform us into his image where his character of timeless faithfulness trumps those feelings to be done with people. I had a friend who uh, sent me a text a little while ago. And uh, I should probably use the term friend kind of loosely. Um, this person and I uh, did track as friends for some time. There was an era of our lives where we were friends and, and as couples, uh, we, were, we were friends. But, but this friend of mine kind of got to the place where when it came to faith and God and church, they were kind of done. And to the point where, you know, they even left town. And I would see them once in a while when I was in their town, but relationally it felt like with me they were kind of done and with jobs they were kind of done and eventually with their spouse they were kind of done and then eventually with the things that they had embraced once they were done with other things they were done with with those things and we'd only kind of barely kept in touch but last week I was in Fort Lauderdale Florida for meetings for a few days and uh yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Meetings in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I know. And uh, we had uh, kind of an afternoon of, of free time before the meeting started. And Becky and I were, were sitting by the pool. And this friend of mine texted me that they had just watched the message from Vision Night, which as a timeout, kind of a shameless plug. Uh, if you didn't experience Vision Night with us and you want to get the spirit or the heart of where we as a church sense that God is leading us in the future and want to kind of be in the know, be in the loop on that and kind of be tracking with us in the adventure that God has for us, go online and watch the talk. You won't regret it. And uh, it'll draw you into this journey and adventure that we're on as a church. It'd be really great for you. Having said that, we're talking about this, this vision night talk and eventually the conversation shifts and the text I get says, I want to start over. Is that possible? I want to start over. Is that possible? And full disclosure, I'm getting this text on a lounge chair in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I'm not admittedly in my most pastoral mode. I'm, I'm just kind of back and forth casually with text. So I, I sent him a one word answer. And I didn't mean it insincerely. I, I, I wasn't you know, not paying attention to the, to the conversation. I was engaged in the conversation. But, but just in the brevity of it, I sent him a, a one-word answer. You want to guess what the one word I sent back was? And I didn't have today's message on the brain. I didn't have passages like 1 Corinthians 13 on the brain at all. It was just my intuitive kind of default answer to that question. One word. Word always. I want to start over. Is that possible? Always. Because I know that that's the character of God. God has established a character with us that is always 
there. Yes, there are consequences to our decision to abandon, deny, reject, and disobey him. But God is always there for us. In fact, God is waiting for us to turn back to him. God is not just waiting for us. God is the eager to run to meet us, the scriptures say, when we turn back to him. And God is always there for us. He's always faithful. He'll never leave us, never forsake us, and never give up on us. That's the character of the God of the Bible that I want us to be confronted with today because you and I can choose to resemble that character. And you and I can choose to be transformed into that character by that loving, faithful God. And I wonder how many of us would benefit from making that choice today? How many of us could enjoy the, the wonder, the blessing of lasting, permanent, no matter what kind of committed relationships? And I wonder what our world would be like, you know, what our neighborhoods would be like, what our offices and, and classes, what our church, what our cities and region would be like if all of us together consciously chose to be transformed in that way by God and to abandon the way of the fickleness of a fan and embrace the timeless faithfulness of heroic families that is the heart of God. Who are you thinking about that can enjoy the blessing of that kind of relationship in your life starting today because of the conscious choice that you're making to bear God's family resemblance in his timeless faithfulness and commitment to others. Let's pray. God in heaven, we just want to pause and thank you for who you are. Thank you for the character that you've established, that you've covenanted to us to live out faithless, faithfully and to live out timelessly, to never leave us, never forsake us, never give up on us. We just thank you that there's nothing we could ever do to make you let us go. I pray that as we're gripped by that for ourselves, as we let that truth sink into our hearts this morning, that we would be gripped by the choice that we have to be made like that ourselves and that we could be captured by the vision of what it would look like in our relationships, what we could experience if we actually lived out that timeless faithfulness to a greater degree. God, especially for those of us who are deep into very difficult relationships, you know those of us who are. I pray that you would breathe some peace and comfort and hope into our hearts right now. That you understand where we're at, that you understand what we're feeling. And that even now, especially now, you're not going to leave us or forsake us. But that we would feel a closeness with you like never before. And that you would resource us even now to do what it takes to be able to make the restorative, you know, kind of shifts to restore and to remedy those relationships. To make them right. Thank you for the healing that you pour out. Thank you for the reconciliation and resolution of the power of Jesus that we can enjoy. We claim that power now, desperate to choose to be made different. Thanks that you want to do that in us. We celebrate you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.